0: As the lights come up, make your way to our listening guide. You can see we're starting a new series today, Explore God. It's not just a sermon series, it's a website. And every question that I could think of, I found on that website, exploregod.com. There's a ministry that millions have gone through across the world called Alpha. Alpha was a ecumenical, wide ministry of different denominations answering the questions that that people ask, people who are not people of faith, people who are people of faith, basic questions. And there are seven big ones that Alpha, as a ministry, tackled. And now Explore God. Explore God is a ministry connected to that. It came out of that. It's, it's related to that. And it's an outreach ministry to try to answer and train people to answer the big questions. And so for us as a church, we got three levels of involvement here One is on Sunday mornings for seven weeks, we're going to look at the seven big questions. Questions like, is there a purpose in life? Christians believe Jesus is God, how can that be? Isn't Christianity too exclusive? They're the only way to heaven, how can that be? Questions like that. And as we explore those questions, we're going to give you real biblical answers to real questions. At the end of this series, in eight weeks, we will start a Thursday night investigative Bible study for you to bring people in your life who are seeking. They're searching. They got questions. And this isn't the appropriate place to discuss it here on Sunday mornings. Too large of a group. Too intimidating. But at Certino's on Thursday nights uh, for 11 weeks, we will answer the seven big questions we answered here in a discussion format plus four others. All right. So that's coming up at the end of September. Um, I told you there were three levels of involvement. The third is we want you to invite. We're going to pass out uh, signs for your home, all right, that you can put in your yard that invite people to that end of September study. And so it'll say, explore God, come to, it won't show our, it won't have our church logo on there. It'll say, explore God, answering big questions about God, Thursday night, starting such and such date at Sertino's, all right? So that's where we're going to be going with this. Um, At the end of this series, we will be tackling for about a a year, we'll be tackling the minor prophets as a church. Uh, If you know what that is, the Bible, Old Testament has prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Well, some are large books and some are smaller. They're not minor in their message, they're just smaller in their words, all right, and the number of words it took the prophet to say it. We'll be tackling the smaller of those books, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, those books, all right? And as we cover them, I, I, I can guarantee you, God's gonna touch you right where you're at, all right? Because there's a book for you in the middle of all those. You know, today we're talking about a question that relates well to our mission statement. Our church, this Sunday morning event is a rescue station. This place is a rescue station because we have found deliverance in Jesus from ourselves, from our addictions, Here, there are people surrounding you that have found deliverance, rescue from loneliness, rescue from purposelessness, rescue from materialism, rescue from, you name it, hurts, habits, hang-ups. We found rescue. And we, here's the statement of our church. Help me finish it. We haven't been rescued, though, to be rescued. We've been rescued to be rescuers. See, this is the truth of the good news of Jesus, that he invites you to come as you are and he will meet you where you're at and and rescue you. So come as you are, but don't stay that way. Don't stay in your sins and struggles and death and loneliness and addictions. Don't stay there. Why, if we love you, why would we leave you there? We accept you there because that's where Jesus accepted us. But we love you too much to leave you in the middle of your pain. And for some of you, you don't know what life is like without the pain, without the struggle, without the confusion, the darkness. But we as followers of Jesus, many of us have gone exactly where you've gone and we've lived in the darkness you're living in. And God has shined the light into our lives and we've come out of it not by our own work or our own intelligence or our own abilities, but purely because he rescued us. And we want to help you with that. And this is a question that's close to my heart. Is there purpose in life? I was good at climbing ladders, not physical ladders, but proverbial ladders in life. I early on climbed them all. Matter of fact, outside of Christ, not knowing God, not knowing Scripture, not knowing Him, I I had five G's that were the the big G's in my life. I they sound funny saying them now, but I lived, and many of you live for these girls, gold, right? Uh, I lived for. Uh, goals. I had certain goals that I set in my life. I lived for grades, and lastly, I lived for gratitude. I loved people appreciating me, and I went to college early. Went to University of North Texas as a 16-year-old, and my daughter keeps my oldest daughter keeps saying, "Can I skip high school and go to college early?" And my answer is no, <laughs> with a explicative in my mind. Oftentimes after that, all right. No, I didn't want her to go through what I went through because what I went through was a dark place because I was climbing ladders of those five Gs and I did pretty good. But here, when an when a individual, a believer in Jesus Christ met me in the middle of my darkness and shined light into my life, I told her on that night, March 28, 1992, I told her that I was climbing ladders, but they were futile. I'd get to the top of the ladder of gold, grades, and there would be another ladder. And there'd be another ladder. I get to the top of that, I was good at climbing ladders. But the truth is, there's too many ladders to climb. And someone will always add another ladder, that life is not about climbing ladders. What she told me on that night, March 28th, is that my ladder was leaning against the wrong building. And I began a relationship with God by no work of my own. I didn't discover him. He came and found me. And he gave me purpose. And he reinvented my G's. You know what they are now? Grace. Growth, groups, gifts, giving. Grace, because I don't deserve anything I have. Growth, because God wants me to not stay as I am. He wants me to be better. And guess what better is better? Groups, God saved me for relationships. Church is relationships. Church, Christianity is about relationships, right? He saved me for groups. He saved saved me, he rescued me for my gifting. He placed in me certain gifts that I had at birth, some that he gave me at, at the point of my rescue. And those, that gift that I have for speaking, or for relating, or for being authentic—those gifts—he wants to leverage for his kingdom. And then he gave me a goal, a focus on giving. That life is not about the duration; it's about the donation. What are you giving back? How are you serving? What are you doing with your life? Does does your life add value to people? It should. And he saved me and rescued me for that. But it all goes back to this question: Does life have purpose? It was asked thousands of years ago. It As a matter of fact, Jeremiah asked it in Jeremiah 2018. Why was I born? Was it only to have trouble and sorrow to end my life in disgrace? March 27, 1992, I was asking that question with suicidal thoughts in my head. Because the answer I had in, in my flesh was, my philosophy was nothing. Life doesn't mean anything. And maybe you're there. You probably in your times felt that way like I felt. Was I just born to have a bunch of problems? Was I put on this planet for heartache, grief, and pain, and stress? Is that what life is about? Maybe some of these authors, these speakers, and these quotes relate. Arthur Ashley Brilliant said, My life is a superb cast, but I can't figure out the plot. Jack Hanley wrote, I hope life isn't a joke because I don't get it. Carl Jung, famous psychiatrist, said, I don't know the meaning, the purpose of life, but it looks as if something, we were meant for something. Joseph Taylor authored a book called I Have No Answers to the Meaning of Life and I No Longer Want to Search for It. How about that for a title? Leo, uh, Leo Tolstoy wrote, Then what is life for, to die, to kill myself at once? No, I am afraid to wait for death till it comes. I fear that even more. Then I must live. But what for? In order to die? Ernest Hemingway wrote, life is just a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. Samuel Beckett, they give birth astride of a grave. The light gleams in an instant and then night once more. Henry David Thoreau, the mass of men lives. They live in quiet desperation. You know, those are tragic statements, folks. Because life without purpose isn't worth living. It's no coincidence that suicide in our society, their suicide rate in our society since the 1960s has been on a, a steep incline. It is, as of the last 15 years, it is the number two killer of teenagers. Suicide. Suicide. I looked before this service, 2013, Suicide is the second leading cause of death, ages 10 through 24. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for college-age youth, 12 to 18. More teenagers and young adults die from suicide than cancer, heart disease, AIDS, birth defects, stroke, pneumonia, influenza, chronic lung disease combined. Each day in our nation, there are an average of 5,400 attempts by young people, ages 7 through 12. Wow. Wow. So you see, if, if you take God out of the equation, you don't really have much to work with. You could you could try the mystical approach. I'll find meaning inside. I'll look within. I'll find purpose within. You know, I, I did that. I worked there. And if I, if you could find purpose there, I would have found it, right? I'm sure you tried that. I didn't find it within. It takes more than looking within. Maybe it's the philosophical approach. A philosophy of survival, right? A survivalist says the purpose of life is just to be alive. Live as long as you can live. That's the meaning of life. The naturalist says the purpose of life is to perpetuate itself. or In other words, just live for biological reasons. To quote one philosopher, rap artist Ice-T, he wrote, the only reason we're here is to reproduce, just to chill out and reproduce, to keep the species alive. Doesn't that just motivate you to wanna jump out of bed in the morning or jump into bed in the morning? Anyway... I don't know. The hedonist writes, the purpose of life is pleasure. Just have fun. Party hardy. The materialist says life is in the acquisition of things. Just gather as much stuff. But here's the problem with that. He who dies with the most toys still dies. You know, those are not satisfying answers, right? The Mystical approach, the philosophical approach. Of course, our nation is great at the self help approach. Go to any bookstore and you can find hundreds of self help books that talk about discovering for yourself your purpose in life. You've got to invent your purpose, you've got to create your own purpose. They give some basic approach answers, discover your dreams, go after your goals, have some ambition, big dreams and dream those dreams, aim high, believe you can achieve, have faith, figure out what you're good at, never give up, involve other people. And here's the truth of that. Those things and those advice will, if you do those things, they will provide much success in life. But being success and knowing your purpose in life are not the same thing. You can be a raving success in life life without having ever asked the question, what on earth am I here for? So what did God put you on the planet for? See, your purpose in life, according to God, is greater than your personal fulfillment. Matter of fact, it's far greater than your happiness. Your purpose in life is far greater than your peace of mind. Those things are small compared to this. You were made by God, for God, and he has a purpose for you. And until you understand that, you'll make no sense. Out of life. Now there was a scholar. Thinker. By the name of Solomon. An ancient Israelite king. If you got your Bibles open. Open them to Ecclesiastes 1. I read these words. The first night. First week of my rebirth. And I said this was me. This is many of you. But you don't have what he, he has. What this king. This rich powerful wise king. Wisest richest King ever to live. He had it all. He tried it all. He discovered that it was all empty. So, this is the feeling of many people. You know, if you're a sufferer today, you go to the book of Job. If you're a rebel today, you might go to the book of Jonah. But if you are a cynic, if you are disillusioned with life, if you are disgusted with where you're at, the book of Ecclesiastes is the place to go. So, we're going to look at verses one two and three and we're gonna pick them apart we're gonna look at every phrase as we exegete this text Um, this book if you read it in its totality is very pessimistic it's so easy to get pessimistic in life isn't it jewish writer shalom aleichem once described life as listen to this a blister on top of a tumor with a boil on top of that can't you just feel it american poet carl sandberg compared life to an onion you peel it off one layer at a time and sometimes you weep and you read this book and you weep what a relief listening to these verses i'm about to read when jesus says i have come that you might have life and that you might have it full and abundant or paul 1 Corinthians 15, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain if it's done in the Lord. Beautiful. So verse one tells us our author. It says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. The word here for preacher is the word Koheleth. And it has the idea of gathering a group of people And having in Hebrew, the nuance is debating. It's teaching through, here's what you think, but here's what I say. Here's what I experience, but here's the truth. It's this dialectic of here's this and here's that. And you place them in opposition. In the New Testament Greek language, the word for assembly, we get the word church from it. It's the word ecclesia. And so as the assembly got to hear the preacher, the teacher, this book was called Ecclesiastes. After that phrase, ecclesia, church. So the church gathered under the teacher the words of this one. Uh, at one point in chapter 2, he's called a great, wealthy, wise one, this author. At another time, in, in 12 times really in, the, in this book, he's called the king. This Solomon, this king, wrote this book last. He's already written Song of Solomon. He's already written a lot of the Proverbs and many of the Psalms. But he comes to this book, and it's his last This is after 1 Kings chapter 11 when God had removed his hand of blessing of Solomon. He removed his blessing hand off of Solomon. And so he writes this, verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Do you get the point? Now, you might not use that word vanity. So maybe your translation says meaningless, meaningless. All is meaningless. Futile, futile. All is futile. Matter of fact, there's three words that come to my mind as I read this book. Three words that create for him the message of the rest of the book. First is the the moan that you get in your heart of knowing and knowing that you don't know enough. It is the, the moan, if you're writing notes, it's the moan of knowledge emptiness. For those of you that are in education, we have a lot of Lamar students here this morning, some professors some are in education, school is starting out, and you're moaning for a different reason there. But if you understand the pursuit of knowledge, how empty it is, you, you get the truth here. It is empty in its knowledge. Um, I, I've said this often to many a class that I've taught at the grad level. I have a PhD in theology, and I teach on the side for Liberty University, and I almost always start with the class by saying, I know a lot, But I guarantee I have many more questions than you do. The more I know, the more I don't know, right? That's how knowledge is. You can climb the the ladder of knowledge, but that's leaning against the wrong building. It is is empty. Now this one, look back at verse 1. This one has the wisdom. He is the preacher. He has intellectual wisdom. He is the son of David. Literally, like the son, the exact son, the direct son of David. Not a phrase relating to proverbial. He is the son of David. He has spiritual wisdom. He is, what's the last phrase there in verse 1? He is king in Jerusalem. He has political wisdom. So, So you would think his wisdom would lend itself to understanding. He says, I don't understand anything. That ladder, if you're climbing the ladder of intellectualism, that will leave you empty. Seminary professors talked about this uh, phrase. I remember in seminary 20 some odd years ago, he said, whatever is left after you pop a soap bubble, that's this word, empty. And he will use this word emptiness in other places in Ecclesiastes. Now, the next comes to my mind is... The idea of vapor. This is the moan of experience. Some of you, in your experience, it just feels like a vapor. You go on that vacation to wherever and poof, it's over. You get that accolade, poof, it's gone. You climb that goal, you get to that next stage in your career, and it's just a vapor. A vapor is that which leaves quickly and leaves nothing behind. I think of James 4.14. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So all of life is meaningless, it's useless, it's hollow, it's futile, it's vain if it's not rightly related to God. If you've read the book of Ecclesiastes, you know that that's how this book ends. He says under the sun it's all purposeless unless God is in the middle of it. And that's the final verse. Look at verse 3. What advantage does man have in all of his work? What he does under the sun. Let's break this apart. Under the sun is mentioned 29 times in Ecclesiastes. It's a huge phrase, and it, it is in reference or in opposition to things done under heaven. Under the sun is the perspective of the world, right? This, it refers to the present world and your thinking here in the flesh and the limits that it brings into your life. It's worldly thinking. It's thinking the American dream. I'm telling you, if you buy into the American dream, it will leave you hollow, empty, and hurting. The American dream is killing the church in America. The American dream is not what you're called to live. You can be a success in the American dream and be completely empty according to what God says. Because you can miss what he has for you and his purpose in your life. Next phrase, advantage, profit. This is a word in Hebrew here in Ecclesiastes, it's mentioned 10 times, and it's the word yitron. It is what is left over after the, it's the surplus, it's the gain, it's a commercial term. It's in opposition to vanity. He says, my work, what what is the profit? What is the advantage? The next word is work or labor. There are, in Hebrew, there are 11 different words for work. This word here is Amal. It's mentioned 23 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, Amal. What does the word mean? If there's 11 different words, what does this word mean? It means to toil to the point of exhaustion and yet experience little satisfaction or no fulfillment. You could translate this word in other places as grief or misery or frustration. Does that feel like your life? You toil and you toil and you work and you work and it just brings nothing to you. The moan of labor. Maybe write this word. Maybe write the word futility. That's how I felt. Solomon concluded. After living it up. Living large. Living big. Living loud. Thinking deep. Everything. He concluded that life is not about possessions. It's not about finding lasting satisfaction in possessions. Or pleasure. Or things. Or prestige. or Or power. It's not about that. Now. If you're like me, lately you've been an Olympic jump junkie. I was at camp all last week with our preteeners. Incredible camp. Had a number of preteeners come to faith in Christ. It was great. But I missed uh, the first what four nights of the Olympics being at camp. And I got home and Thursday night I got all caught up. And my wife was ready for me. She had little videos that she wanted me to look. Oh, I looked at this and they did this little expose and da da da. And she showed me she showed me this one. It's about the, the life of Michael Phelps. Any, anybody Michael Phelps fan? Right. How many golds now? 23 as of last night. Amazing. But if you followed him earlier in the last four years, you know he was on a spiral down the tubes of alcohol and abuse and craziness. And he had a, had a believer that connected with him. And he, he found I don't know where he is with Christ. I just know that His life is much more promising, and he's got an anchor in relationship to a certain book. Not the Bible, but another, the second most bestseller in Christian history outside of the Bible. And it's written by a pastor in the uh, California area named Rick Warren, called The Purpose Driven Life. If you haven't read it, great thing to read this fall. But listen to this segment, just two minutes of a video on his fall and his rise. Michael Phelps, watch.
1: Lowest point in your life. I think you're kind of open to a lot of things to try to, lowest point in your life. I think you're kind of open to a lot of things to try to change it and to try to get back on the right path. I was just surrendering. For 45 days at the Meadows, Phelps worked on his inner demons for the first time. Between therapy sessions, Phelps often swam in a pool far too confining for an 18-time Olympic champion. I would take two strokes and get to the other side. So I was like, well, don't really know what I'm gonna do in here. I just started doing drills, flip turns, working on kick. I got yelled at for wearing a brief. Couldn't wear a brief, so I had to find something else to wear. Phelps also buried himself in a book Ray Lewis had given him, The Purpose Driven Life. It's turned me into believing that there is a power greater than myself and there is a purpose for me on this planet. Second, third day he got in and he called me. He was like, man, this book is crazy. He was like, the things that's going on, oh my gosh, my brain is, bro, I'm,
0: I'm, i I cannot thank you freaking enough, man. Like, you saved my life. And so that was the moment when I started to hear he coming out of it,
1: he, he, will, he will make it. And then he started calling me with things he was reading from the book and I was like, it's sinking in. For a long time, I thought I was to bring the family back together, baby. My therapist said, well, you failed, how does that feel? And then I read this and I was like, you know what? <laughs> I think it helped me when I was in a place where I needed the most help. Hmm.
0: Now, on the stage of media in the world, is there a greater success story than Michael Phelps in terms of the Olympics? The most decorated Olympian of history, right? But yet he was a failure in relationship to his purpose. So, So if it's not success. If it's not achievement, what is my purpose in life? Well, the question of is there purpose in life really has three sub-questions. Let's let's pick them apart. Let me give you some answers according to scripture. So if you're on the edge of your seat, like, okay, hey, you've taken 15, 20 minutes to give us the question, what's the answer? All right? Here it is. Question of existence. Why? Number one, you could ask it this way: why am I alive? It's not exactly a new question. I read you Jeremiah 28, but why does God have me here? Why am I on this planet? Is there a reason? The Bible says this in Proverbs 16, verse 4, the Lord has made everything for his own purpose. I want you to circle, grab a pen, circle in your hand out the word everything. It's for his purpose. God has made everything everything. For a purpose. There isn't anything that God has made that is made without a purpose. Every rock has a purpose. Every plant has a purpose. Every animal has a purpose. If you're alive, you have a purpose. If you want to know if God still has a purpose for you, check your pulse. If you have a beating heart, God has a purpose for you. Now, now, this morning, I just want you to see his motive. Listen to this. It's not on the screen. Just listen to it. Ephesians, we covered this around Christmas time last year. Ephesians 1.4. Long before he laid out the earth's foundations, God had us in his mind. He settled on us as the focus of his love. Wow. Say that with me. The focus of his love. Say that. The focus of his love. Matter of fact, I think that's worth writing down. On your handout, at the back part of that, write this down. You were created to be loved by God. So why are you alive? Some of you desperately need to hear this. The reason you're alive is that God wants you to be the focus of his love. That's why he created you. He didn't need you, he wants you. Do you feel that? God is love and created us to create something to love and so he created you, he didn't need you, he wasn't lonely, he made you in order to love you. He doesn't need you, he wants you. That is huge and you can't get the rest of what we're gonna say until you get that. You are created, alive, to be the object, according to Scripture, from beginning to end, the object of his love. Huge. So second key question is the question of significance. It's all under this idea of purpose. Why am I alive? Secondly, does my life matter? Isaiah asked this in Isaiah 49, verse 4. says, My work all seems so useless. I've spent my strength for nothing, for no purpose of all at all. You were made for meaning. And if you don't know the meaning, the purpose in your life, you don't know why God puts you on the planet. It just doesn't make sense. In Hungary, in a certain Nazi prison camp, prisoners in this camp in Hungary, their job, they had a factory and it was sewage treatment factory. These prisoners in this concentration camp, they worked to treat sewage. And the allies bombed this concentration camp and destroyed the factory. You know, the Nazis in their unique cruelty decided we got to get these prisoners to do something because they weren't giving up. They kept the prisoners even though the factory was bombed. And they would get the prisoners to get around the factory, pick up the rubble, and catch this, pick up the rocks every day carry them out to a field and put down the rocks and then the next week however long that took they would pick the rocks up out of the field and carry them back to the factory and put them back down and then the next week they would pick they do it every they did this over and over thing and a very crazy strange thing happened the prisoners themselves they started going crazy They were throwing themselves off any cliff they could. They were were running, screaming at at the guards trying to get shot. They were, in essence, trying to commit suicide. Because if you have no purpose, then it's not worth living. If you don't matter, if you don't know that you matter, it's not worth living. You and I are going to live life at one of three stages, one of three levels. The first level is the survival level. The survival level is really where most live today in our world. They're just in survival mode. They're barely getting by. They're taking one day at a time. They're just existing. They're not living. They're controlled by their circumstances, and it's rough. One of my favorite questions to ask people are, are you surviving or are you thriving? Because that's a question I try to ask myself. Am I just getting by? Because level two is where probably most of us are here today. Middle income, upper middle income America, you are in survival mode not survival mode success mode see that's the next level you go from survival to success mode and and by world standards you've got it made you have a comfortable living compared to the rest of the world you have possessions you have freedom you have health you may have prestige you might have become quite successful but there are a lot of books coming out today at Barnes and Nobles you can go there and you can find them and they say these many of these books say I'm a huge success why am I not happy If I'm so successful, how come I don't feel fulfilled? The reason is it takes more than success. The third level is significance. You need to go to that third level. The level of significance, it's not about survival, it's not about success, it's about significance. If you want to know how significant you are to God, look at the next couple of verses in your handout. God says, I am your creator You were in my care even before you were born. Wow. While God was making you up in his mind, he was loving you and caring for you and having purpose. He, He thought you up. That's huge. Next verse. You, talking about God, scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. That's how much you matter to God. He paid so much attention to you in your life that every detail was recorded in his book. Even before you took a breath, that's how much you matter. So do you matter to God? Yes, he made you. He made you to love you. The Bible says you do matter. He says everything in life, good and bad, everything in between, you matter to him because he's planned your life. Because when you die, your heart is going to stop and you will, that will be the end of your body, but that's not the end of you. You're far more than your body. Here's the truth I want you to write down. He made you to last forever. Do you matter to him? Yes. You matter so much to him. He made you to last forever. The Bible says that in Psalm thirty-three eleven, 11. It says his purposes last eternally. Say with me, I was made to last forever. Say that out loud. I was made to last forever. I've been made to be loved by God. I've been made to last forever. And this isn't all there is. One of the biggest things you can do to waste your time is think that the here and now is all there is. You will waste your life. You're going to spend far more time on the other side of death than you spend on this side of death. If you've been given, if you're gonna be given 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years of life, that is a smidge, a, a pinprick, compared to what's gonna happen on the other side of eternity. That means you matter. So the question is, why am I alive? God says, I made you to love you. The question is, why do I matter? Does life matter? God says, oh oh yeah, you matter. You matter so much that I am intent on keeping you alive forever. You're gonna be around for a long, long time. So then comes the third question, the final question, the question of intention. What's my purpose? What's my purpose? Why on earth am I here? Well, to play a little game, to kind of conclude this morning. Let's see if you can guess this. All right, so I got this from one church family. Anybody know what that is? What's the purpose of that? Anybody know? That is binoculars for a travel person, person traveling. Isn't that cool? Now, you wouldn't have known that if I hadn't have told you. All right, here's here's some others. Anybody know what this is? That's a hint, by the way. Dimes just fell out of it. What is it? It's a dime counter. All right, it's empty now, but there you go. All right, that worked out better than I thought. All right, somebody gave me this. Anybody know what that tool is used for? Yeah, Yeah, it's to pull out plastic parts from a car inside, outside to remove. Uh, so you can repair things. It's often at a, a re- automotive repair place. All right, now let's get serious. Okay, so I, I got a hold. We have a couple of veterinarians that are part of our faith family. And I said, give me something big that everybody can see. All right, so here's the first thing. What is that thing? Anybody know? Teeth. Yes, somebody got it. This is a dental extractor for a horse or a cow. All right, that's, that's heavy duty. Now, You don't want to get these two confused, all right? A dental extractor, all right? Two more, here we go. What is this? Now, Matt, that is not a medieval weaponry thing. I know you do that on the weekends. This is not medieval weaponry. Anybody know what that is? Come on, horse people. It's a twitch, yeah. Put the horse muzzle in there and you try to get their attention by squeezing their nose. This will get your attention, all right? If you don't know the purpose, you don't know what it's for. And lastly, and I did not choose this one. He just brought it to me this morning. So I apologize ahead of time. What is this? Tweezers? (laughs) No. (laughs) This is called, affectionately, an emasculator. This turns a stallion into a gilding. Now, again, you, you, you don't want to get this confused with this. All right? Here's the point. If you want to know the purpose of something, I know some of you are like, oh. <laughs> if you want to know the purpose of something and you better know the purpose of you, how do you find it out? How do you find out the purpose of anything? You know, I had to write down, I'm like, how do you even spell emasculator, right? I had to write that down as the veterinarian told me about that. So, so what do you do? You either go to the maker or you look at the user manual. You either go to the maker or you go to the user manual. And then with God, it's the same way. You go to the maker and then you go to the user manual. And so you study scripture and you look at what it says about you and you say, what it says is true of me, and then your lifestyle reflects it. We call that faith. God, what you say is true of me. I believe it. I live it. I place my faith in it. It's not going to be, you're not going to find the purpose of things through listening to philosophers because at best they're just guessing. It's not going to be through looking within because you're not going to find it there. It's not going to be by looking at self-help books because they're just saying create your own purpose. You have to go to the creator, the owner's manual. Listen to these last two verses, Colossians 1. For everything, absolutely everything above and below, visible and invisible, everything got started in him and starts and finds its purpose in him. Question, church, who is the him? Christ, actually. Christ. Listen to Ephesians 1. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out everything and in everyone. So the last thing I want you to write in your notes there is I find my purpose in Christ. You get to know him, you live for him, you look like him, you serve him, you obey him. That's the purpose in life. That's what life is about according to scripture. Now I want you to bow your heads with me. Bow your heads, just spend some time in prayer. You know, God had a purpose in bringing you here today. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know his purposes for you. So, so talk to him right now. You don't have to use fancy words. If you don't know what to say just follow me I'll, I'll say a prayer and you can just go hey me too God just say that let me pray for us dear God I, I realize that if it weren't for you I wouldn't be alive but because you made me you you must have a purpose for me I admit that I focused a long time half my life really on my plans and my life not yours I, Oh, but thank you. Thank you that you made me so you could love me. Thank you that you cared for me even when I didn't know you. Thank you that I was made to last forever. I want a life filled with meaning. I want to start by getting to know you better. So as best as I understand, I ask you, Jesus Christ, to come into my life. Help me to understand your purposes for me. I wanna take this first step today. In your name I pray, amen, amen. You know, life is about taking what he tells you, who he is, who Jesus is, and then living it. And the largest, growing, fastest, biggest religion in America is the practical atheist. The one who says he believes in God and doesn't do a thing about it for the rest of the week. Listen to these words by Brennan Manning. He said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out of the door and deny him with their lifestyle. So whether you took the first step of faith or the hundredth step of faith, the purpose in life is to grow and love and be Christ to this world. That's it. If you live for anything else, you're a practical atheist. Because to believe that Jesus did what he did is to believe that we were meant to be made into his image. And to live like him, for him, by him, in him, through him, everything is Jesus. And the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's life. All right, why don't you stand with me?